Good morning. My name is Daniel. I have the pleasure of serving as one of the elders here at Life Community Church. And uh, I did, I'm going to read the scripture before Pastor Brandon comes up and um, teaches us about the church and what we're here to do. But God has pressed upon my heart this morning just to share with all of you that um, um, I love like, coming and worshiping with all of you. I love being here as a part of this body of Christ here, um, our local body. And I just thank you for all of the um, ways that you've poured into me, whether it's at a campsite, um, you know, in children's ministry, in Bible studies, or wherever it is. Um, and I just thank you all for um, being here and being a party, part of the Christ and part of the party, right? <laughs> so um, we're going to read in chapter Acts, uh, we're going to read in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of, the, of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God as we open the word together and, and look at this idea, this thought of the church. And when we think about our thoughts, are we aware of what we're thinking? Are we just mindlessly thought after thought after thought kind of floating through our day it was said, if I knew what you think, I would know what you are. For your thoughts make you what you are. By changing our thoughts, we can change our lives, Dale Carnegie said. When we think about our thoughts, that can be either terrifying, because if your thought was put on the screen right now, you're like, uh, this is creepy, weird, like that's mortifying. But it would also be, yeah, actually I'm thinking about wanting to serve someone or help someone or glorify God more. Our thoughts reveal where our true desire lies, reveals who we truly are. And, and as you think about our thoughts and, and, and weigh them, all through Scripture, God made us with a brain to think about Him, to think about His ways and His Thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. So as, as we reveal who we are and where we're going, it is quite alarming when you reveal, man, the amount of thoughts I think that are selfish versus selfless is pretty humbling. When, when Paul's writing to a young pastor named Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.7, he concludes after explaining and setting up these images of the thought being a military personnel, not consumed with the affairs of a civilian, but preparing his mind and his body for war. The, the athlete doesn't show up to the Super Bowl and say, hey, it's my turn to be a quarterback, even though I'm, I'm just getting out of high school. I think I'll be the quarterback of the Super Bowl. 
No, the, the, the quarterback that's earned that right to play in the Super Bowl has sacrificed, suffered, and trained his body in such a way that he might throw enough touchdowns and not fumble the ball when he gets sacked to win the Super Bowl. Like he's struggled through that to get to that place as a, an athlete. And a farmer has planned, has purchased, has tilled the soil, has shot all the coyotes and ground squirrels and done everything he can to poison everything else in the ground so that his crop would survive and he would have a harvest at the end of the season. He's not lazy. He's thinking, he's consumed, he's devoted, like the soldier, like the athlete. And so Paul concludes right into this young pastor and says, think over what I said. I want you to think. I want you to be aware of your thoughts for what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. See, my problem started when I was a kid at church and I'd hear these Bible stories that were amazing, like this guy Jonah gets put in this fish for three days and then he goes to this city who hates God, lives as far apart from God as they could and then he goes and says, hey, repent or die and they believe to set up Jesus coming to the world and saying, I've come to save you and I'm going to be buried in the grave for three days and I'm going to come out and prove that I have the power to save and that my purpose is truly to save. Will you believe me? I love you. And then I go to church and it's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same power. It's not the same passion and direction. It's, it's confusing. While, while a lot of the church people had good and intentions there often was boring disconnected from reality uh annoying and it was super safe like there was all these rules and stuff which my personality rules were meant to um enable my vision or desire uh not for me to follow it um so personality tests spit out the results so yeah it's about right they're there to serve me everyone else can follow them but i'm not gonna i don't need to follow these rules but when you read about Jesus, nothing was safe, which appeals to me. It's like, yes, we're going to stick it to these religious people, all these rules they have. Jesus doesn't need to follow them because he's here to fulfill them. Uh-oh. <laughs> I guess he did follow every r right rule, and he followed everything perfectly without sin. But he didn't follow these other made-up rules that were just to hurt people and not help people. He touched lepers. He befriended prostitutes. He actually enlisted tax collectors who were collecting taxes from fellow Jews to serve in the same group that would proclaim the same message of hope to a hopeless world. While at church, they were narrow-minded, judgmental, and, and very telling of their hypocrisy that they lived outside of the walls, no matter how well they dressed up or cleaned up on Sunday. But Jesus loved those who hated him. It was very clear that what we were trying to do on Sunday was very different than what Jesus did and his disciples did when they got this thing church started. Jesus would go and say, bless those who persecute you. And he welcomed those whose religion had rejected. And the problem really started for me, not by just observing, but when I started to read the Bible. And I started to think about who God is that, that wrote this to us and sent his son to die in our place that we might have a new life and be saved. 
and the difference that the church had become. Because Jesus called everyone to himself, not just ones who looked and dressed and thought the same. He called everyone who needed change to come. And that's why our mission is from Jesus. In John 17, we exist for people to experience new life through Christ. Not through our programs or not through a certain, but through Christ to help them know God, which is eternal life, grow in that relationship with God and others, and then go out and make disciples. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. He didn't come to judge and condemn, but that the world might be saved through him. And he came that we might have life and life to the fullest. And as we seek to please God first, as his church, as his bride in process, as we answer this question, what is the church to do? There's five thoughts, five mindsets that we're going to aspire to. We have this, this idea in, in kind of the business world, this, this guy coined the phrase, permission to play, which is helpful because so often I, I, I want to be better and I'm not there yet. And, and in some areas, I'm not even close, but I want to try at it. I want to aspire to it. But there's no way I would move in any direction unless first I start thinking about it. And that's where Paul tells T Timothy, you need to start thinking. You need to change your thoughts. And then you can start looking at the process and make a plan and actually see if there's a power that can enable you to change. But it first starts with our thoughts. Let's pray before we get in. Lord, we come before you acknowledging there is zero hope apart from you. There uh, you, as you tell us, we can do nothing apart from you, and we acknowledge that every time we are apart from you, we do nothing. Nothing good. It's only hurtful, hurting ourselves and others around us. We pray that your grace would fill us, your spirit would guide us, and give us the understanding we need to change our thinking, that we might look like you with everything we say, think, and do. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts 2 Jesus is resurrected from the grave, and the disciples listened to Jesus, and they waited, and they waited, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and Peter preaches the gospel, and he's telling them every, everyone like it is, and he's telling the Jews, you're the ones that crucified him, and Jesus is God's Messiah he sent to save us, and he rose again from the grave, and they heard this. And they repented and they said, okay, yeah, we are in sin. Positionally, we're apart from God. What must we do? And he said, repent, believe, and be baptized. And the amazing thing, as you see is in Acts chapter 2, in verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. In verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. The interesting thing is, is Peter was focused not on nice men or bad men. He was saying, they're lost and you need to save yourself from this crooked and dark generation. You need to trust in Jesus, repent, and be baptized. 
And he goes on and he's telling them, repent to be baptized. He says, believe in the name Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, look, you're lost. It's not nice or, or harsh. It's lost and found men. There's only two distinct categories. And he's con- consumed with who needs to hear. And that's the, the amazing thing is his heart was to proclaim the gospel. And there's maybe some reasons why you don't share the gospel. Maybe it's the, the thought of, well, some people that think, and maybe I, I'd say, go as far as to say, maybe they think too much, and they say that Jesus only died for the elect. Maybe that's why if you're a thinker and you're like, well, why would I share the gospel? Because Jesus only died for the set number of people he chose. Why would I talk about him with anyone else? And to say it simply is, is the good news of the gospel is for all and only applies to those who answer the call. As we hear from Paul as he's talking to Timothy in chapter 2, he says, he says, God desires all men to be saved. And then later on, he tells Timothy, he says, Jesus is the Savior of all people, especially for those who believe. So the heart of God is while, while Peter tells him, look, God calls to himself all those the Lord our God calls to himself. And, and over and over, Paul's saying, look, I'm suffering and I'm in prison for the sake of the elect. There's the joy and the assurance of there's people that God knows will turn to him. And I want you to hold out two hands because while God's sovereign in control and elects those and knows who's going to choose him, when he comes into our heart, and a lot of you have experienced this, if you think about your own salvation, you were running as fast and as far away from God as you could, and God called you to him. And all of a sudden, your heart started to beat, and you're like, what am I, why am I thinking about God all of a sudden? I never think about God. Why am I okay giving money to the church? I never want to give money to God. And all of a sudden, your heart starts to beat for the things of God, and then you believe and you receive that salvation. And so it's the tension of somehow God elects us, calls us, and yet we receive and believe, and it's both. Those of you who are, are like me and probably don't think that long and hard and, and get into those weird problems where you end up being so arrogant in these defining statements that are, nope, it says right here, even though Jesus says, I didn't come to judge the world, you're already all guilty, you need a savior. Let's not get into this whole playing God and deciding who's in and who's out. Let's proclaim the message that everyone's invited. The good news of the gospel is for all, but it only applies to those who answer the call. And so those of us that have picked up the phone and said, yes, I believe, I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But what about those who, they don't have a phone because they're on an island that's unreached and they, they don't hear the call. What about those people? And maybe some of you have, have thought to that level and you're like, man, if they die, has God made a way for them to be saved? And the amazing thing, this this uh, apologetics and, and philosophers said, God will judge them based on the revelation that God's given them. And Paul says in Romans 1, they're without excuse because God has made his power self-evident to them through his creation. And it's amazing because when you think about that, you're like, wow, God is so good and powerful. He would reveal his character and his power through his creation. We see in Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch 
responded to the gospel, responded to the acknowledgement there's a God who created him, but it was far from complete. It was an incomplete understanding of God. It was a glimpse, and God started making his heart beat for the things of God, regenerated his heart, and then God sent Philip to help the eunuch understand the gospel fully as the eunuch went back now as he knew God was saved, grew for a minute enough with Philip, and then went and told his family and friends where he came from. God is faithful to bring the gospel to people who've already responded to him with the small revelations through his creation. It's amazing, this uh, network of churches that we're a part of, the Alliance, when the Alliance missionaries went to French West Africa, they would arrive to a village that had been unreached, and the villagers would say, man, what took you so long? We knew you were coming. And the missionaries were like, what? How? We didn't send a telegram? Like, how do they know we we're coming? And they would respond and say, tell us the message of God. Because they saw God's power and his nature and his creation, and they were waiting to hear the rest of the story. And it's amazing to think that they're without an excuse to believe in God because God's made himself known through his creation. And so for us, that's why Paul's like, man, we get the rest of the story. They got half the puzzle. We get to bring the rest of the pieces and put the picture together and have them stand back and go, whoa, he did all that for me? So as we see in Acts 2, the church... The way that they proclaimed the message of the gospel made the world stand up and take notice. We see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And verse 46, and day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They're praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When I began to think about God, his character, and the exciting opportunity I had to share the gospel, the problem started when I, when I read verses like these, and I, that's not the church I attended. <laughs> and I was like, hey, I have need, or this guy's need, we should help. And it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe later. Not, it doesn't really, we don't have a ministry line out, we don't have a budget for that, it doesn't really fit. But we do have this program you could attend, or you could come to this and do this thing. And really what I've found is, is I put together more of a, a modern amplified version of what scripture read of the early church of what the church looks like today so this is this is a false this isn't scripture uh, to avoid any confusion but I think this is more of a commentary of where we're at today as, a, as the big church we, we would read something like this they were devoted to their comfort health happiness personal goals dreams and kids sports no one really noticed the Christians because they're so focused on themselves very few of the believers were together, and when they were, they fought about stupid things. If they sold anything, they used the money to buy something better for themselves. 
They claimed to love God, but didn't love each other. They felt empty, alone, and depressed, just like everybody else. And as a result, most people disliked them, and very few lives were changed. And so when we see, like I shared last week, when numbers are declining in the mainstream big church, that's why. I don't want to go to that. I want to go to Acts 2 church. I don't want to go to that church. I don't want to go to this amplified version, false church. But it convicts our hearts. And we see that God did something in their hearts that's very different. And we see that it began with the way they thought about each other. And they thought differently about their possessions. And they were, they, they were devoted in a different level. They were consumed on a different level about helping other people and spreading the gospel more about what they can get out of the gospel. We see as we continue this next year that in order to change, we have to change our thinking, which really comes down to our heart's motivation of our devotion. And we see that the church was devoted to Christ in these ways. And last week we looked at the gospel that transforms you and your relationships around you. And this week we're looking at having this mindset, having this enlarged thinking about our devotion to Christ and praying for the world around us. One of the most important words of all the New Testament is this word translated as devoted. It's proskaterio, proskaterio. And it means to live in a constant state of relentless pursuit. A constant state of relentless pursuit, ongoing devotion. And the reality is, I think this really summarizes a lot of my personality personality. I'm constantly in pursuit of this relentless pursuit and ongoing devotion. The problem is that there's a constant, it's kind of one of those like the price is right wheels that just spins. Like whatever that thing is on the ticker, that's my devotion too. And it's like, wait, I'm supposed to be devoted to Christ, my family, oh, and how did all these other things get in there? And, and I think it's, the, the challenge is it's this ongoing action where I can't sit down and just be still because I'm constantly devoted to something else and and this proscriterio it's we're really devoted to our kids we're devoted to the season they're in the season they're going into the sports they're in the hobbies everything it's all about kids we're super devoted to that or maybe our career is is the thing we're most devoted to and constantly in pursuit of and jockeying in per, position, looking over our shoulder, who's coming up behind me, and what do I need to do to posture over here and make sure this is put in front of the boss so I can get a promotion. We're constantly in pursuit of our hobbies, this ongoing devotion to having the best and improving and doing this, and we're constantly in pursuit of maybe it was basketball in high school, and now it's pickleball as you get older. You're just constantly in pursuit of the next ball and pickleball racket or wiffle ball and maybe it's your shoe game I don't know like people are all into shoes which you know I like a good pair of shoes support my feet as I get older that's a good thing I guess I found out there's like different cushioning I always just wanted a pair of skate shoes that could help me do the best kickflip and make me run faster which both never really came to fulfillment even though they seem like for the price tag I should have got a little bit better right Maybe it's your financial success. You look at your portfolio and you're like, man, I need to save here. I need to reinvest this. Maybe it's you're super consumed with your house. And once this project's done and this project's done, then I'll have peace. Maybe it's you're, you're super consumed with having the best vacuum. 
or more organized garage. Like those are two things that have kind of been on my, man, I'm super pursuing these things. And obviously the garage for me still is a struggle, but it's, we're, we're making, hopefully make some more progress this year. But the first Christians, they weren't casual. They weren't, hey, when I get around to it, maybe I'll bring up Jesus. But man, my garage or my vacuum, no. They didn't look at comfort the way we do. They didn't look at the cultural Christian headlines. They were full-on, sold-out, fully devoted followers of Christ. They were constantly consumed, had this relentless pursuit, ongoing devotion of Christ, looking like Christ, thinking like Christ, acting like Christ. That, that big word, we summarized that, all that action is sanctification. And that's the work of God in you to think, do, and speak like Christ. And so the first thought we need to have to be a fully devoted follower of Christ is that we will unashamedly share the love of Jesus. We're not going to get consumed with who's, who's chosen or not or who's, who's called or not. We're going to love everyone. As Paul says, look, I'm in chains and I'm suffering for the sake of the elect, for the sake of those who will hear the call and answer the call and be saved. And I don't know who you are, and some of you think you know God, but you don't. Some of you think you can't know God, and you can. And so this is constant tension of Paul saying, I'm suffering, I'm in prison, but man, the gospel's going out like crazy. And, and for us Christians who think we have this right to happiness, it really wrecks you when you read Paul. Because every time he's suffering and there's tension, he's like, perfect. Now the gospel gets front row. It's like, wait, Paul, I think we could talk about the gospel without suffering. Like, can we, can we do that, please? No? Oh, nope. Okay. No. Paul doesn't let that. He's always like, yes, we get to suffer. And now we get to talk about Jesus. And James is like, have joy when you face trials because you're going to suffer. And it's going to be good. And you're like, James, what? Man, I thought I could get relief because I'm not listening to Paul. Now I'm listening to Jesus' brother talk about the same thing. Are we unashamedly sharing the love of Jesus? Are we intent about it? That we make Jesus known and do things not done to reach those not yet reached. And that hurts, church, doesn't it? Because we're not doing the same thing we grew up doing. Even though it was awkward and weird and didn't really help people follow Jesus. But we have to let go of some of those models. We have to let go of the methods. We have to be okay because we're married to Jesus' mission of getting the hope of the gospel to a hopeless world, reaching people who have not yet been reached by doing things not yet done is often how the gospel goes, and typically when suffering and persecution hits. And we see with our finances, we, we're a church who's going to be joyfully generous as we share the gospel then needs are exposed. As it says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were having fellowship, eating bread, and praying together. All came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. There's this unity that's only found in the Holy Spirit. In verse 45, they sold their possessions and shared the proceeds so that everyone who had need, their needs were met. They, they gave joyfully. And, and Paul tells of a church in, in Corinth that was suffering greatly, but there's another church in ministry that had a need. And, and financially, this church didn't have anything to give, but they gave out of their poverty. And that blew me away. Again, 
I was in, a, I was in one of the fastest growing mega churches and I read that verse and I was like, uh, I don't know anything about poverty. Like we have so much money. It's, you don't, we have to figure out what to do with it every year. There's just so much money in this church's budget. How does this, what does that church look like? And it's been amazing going through the process here and coming in financially. It wasn't that comfortable. And so to joyfully go, yeah, we're going to, looking around, we had a lot of single moms, and we still do. And it's like, we have to care for them. Financially, they're struggling, and, and we need to just step up and, and do that. And so a member said, okay, here's, here's a chunk of change. Whatever they need, whenever they need it, let's care for the single moms in our church. And so we could give joyfully and be generous with our resources to not only care for single moms, but also ministries. A church is plant, being planted. They're meeting here tonight, and we're letting them use the building as they get started. We're now in a place where we're looking at what we do have and say, okay, how do we have open hands and help ministries go forward? And Fellowship of Christian Athletes needed a place to, to meet. And so like, hey, you guys use our stuff. Be, we want to help the gospel get to the next generation on the school campuses and because of your consistent faithful giving, we can plan responsibly and say, okay, Lord, how do we use these resources to help our church and to help the gospel go forward? And so we won't insult God with small thinking and safe living. We have to expand our thinking, expand our prayers and say, okay, God, how do we pray? How do we see the needs? And you're a God who meets the needs and will go far beyond anything we think, say, hope, or imagine. So let's not insult God with small thinking and safe living, but we'll joyfully live and give by faith. We need to live and give by faith. Because as Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, if it's in heaven, you're going to fund your retirement account in heaven. You're going to put your resources where your return on investment will always pay better dividends. Eternally. And Thirdly, we're going to intentionally be making disciples. And so as you look at our church calendar, the events we plan, it's all to equip you as a believer to, to disciple your kids as parents, to equip you to share the gospel with your spouse or neighbors. So you can intentionally be making disciples. And we're, we're intentional about putting fewer things on the church calendar because the more things we invite you to do, the less time you're going to have to invite a friend to coffee or get a dinner and, and, and invest one-on-one -on -one in this disciple process or be in a life group. And so if there's a bunch of different things throughout the week, then life groups aren't going to have the space to, to be a priority. So we've committed to do a, a few things well so we can prioritize the mission of disciple-making above other good things. A lot of what the church did wasn't necessarily bad, but as Jesus called us to go make disciples, that's the greater thing. And so we want to create enough space to equip you to go and lead after-school clubs or, or help out in youth ministry and then be a part of a life group and not have all these other programs and different things that are going to pull us in different ways. As we expect miracles, we trust God to do the miraculous to accomplish his purpose because making disciples... If you've ever tried to lead yourself, you know how hard it's going to be to lead someone else, right? Like, you've got to lead yourself first, and that's, that's pretty challenging. And now you're going to try and convince someone else and lead somebody else. That's a miracle, and it takes a miracle to save. And you, could, you read this, and you go, 3,000 souls were added. That's insane. That's a miracle. But are we expecting miracles? Are we waking up in the morning, and are we, 
Are we truly committed to this mission and expecting miracles? We trust God to do the miraculous, to accomplish his purpose. Are we trusting God? Are we expecting God in those seasons where we're like, it's going to take a miracle to figure this out? God's right there with you. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, even to the end of the age. And last thing we need to be thinking about is the power in prayer. Power in prayer. We pray knowing God hears, guides, comforts, and strengthens us. We pray knowing God hears, guides, comforts, and strengthens us. This, this last week, our, our community has been just um, gripped with the, the horror and terror of hearing about Kyle floating down river apart from his mom, Lindsay, and, and, the, and the Doan family grieving. And, we, and we've been grieving this and hoping they discover and, and get closure, find his body, and they still have not been able to find him. And, and as I was quick, like many of you maybe have or nor heard, in conversations this week, it's, it's like, well, why did she, and what did she, and she could have done, and she should have just, and it's like, the school should have, and, and all these things where we quickly just grab a shovel and, and start pointing and, and playing Monday morning quarterback, and it's like, oh, man, you know, actually, if there's power in prayer, and if we're believers, then the most comforting thing we can do for her is, is pray. This mom's grieving the loss of her son, and, and to just start pointing and questioning, it's like, no, I have, you know, I have no place to do that, even though that's, I'm a fixer, doer, and, and it's like, ah, oh, I can't imagine her having to process this, immediately grieving, and then the rest of her life reliving those moments and emotion. And so as a church, we have to respond with prayer, getting on our knees and believing there's power in prayer that God hears these prayers and God comforts her and that God would reveal herself, reveal himself to her that she might be saved because that's the only true thing that's going to really save her. And, and, and the, as the communities responded and it's really caught fire and everyone seems to be following and knowing, it's, it's convicted my heart to see how the reality is we're all being swept away in the current of sin in this culture, and, and how many people do we know that, have, that are being swept away and are lost, and we're not praying for them? And we're just going, oh, you shouldn't be in the river. Oh, you shouldn't have done this. And we're like the person going, ah, oh, you're just not elect. God must not have died for you. It sucks for you. That's so harsh. And I was super convicted. God was like, yeah, you remember what you said about, well, you might be doing that same thing because you're not praying for their salvation. You're not seeking them as urgently as these 200-plus National Guard sheriffs are searching for his body. You're not searching for the lost. You're not praying for them to come to know Christ. Yeah, they may have hurt you. They may be your enemy, but you're not praying. You don't really believe in the power of prayer. And as I was researching this week and going, okay, we're going to learn about prayer, and I was really convicted on this and praying for this family and going, man, how is our posture towards him and her, his mom and then lost in our community. In this church plant, this small church up in San Jose, they shared a story where they began to pray as they started their church and a missionary showed up and shared his story that he had, had been fleeing the, the, um, the government in the country he was ministering in Eritrea, which borders Ethiopia. And his family, he, he married, his wife was from Ethiopia and so his family was still 
in Eritrean, but the border was closed, and so he snuck across, and the church prayed and prayed and raised up enough money to get his older daughters to be smuggled. They had to run through the jungle, avoiding military and crocodiles and anacondas and whatever else crazy stuff lurks, giant spiders in the jungle. They got the older kids, but the younger ones were too small to make the journey, so the mom and the younger two kids were still in Eritrean, and so they prayed and prayed for for three years, and then finally in in uh, April 2nd of 2018, um, Abiy Amid, a devout Christian follower, was sworn in as the new prime minister of Ethiopia. And in his election speech, he publicly promised that he would work towards reconciliation and unity between the two countries. So the church kept praying and praying, and they realized their prayer wasn't just for this mom and kids to get out, but was for the border to open. And in May of 2018, uh, Amid visited Eritrea and asked for forgiveness from all the atrocities and the ethnic division and they kept praying and in July 2018 there was a joint declaration of peace and friendship between the two countries and so they kept praying and finally in September 11th of 2018 the border opened for the first time in 20 years and his wife Kadane's wife and the two remaining children drove across the border into Ethiopia freely and then were reunited with them <clears throat> in San Jose but the border closed in 2018, in December 18 of 2018, so a couple months later. And I was reading this, and the church said, yeah, we basically did that. And I was like, wow, I was pretty proud. Like, was, oh, we were just talking about being humble, and the good news of the gospel is for everybody. And you're like, yeah, our little church prayed for the border to open, and then it closed real quick. And we, But in reality, like, yeah, they did. They were praying for the borders to open. God opened the borders. The missionary's wife and kids were reunited. He put first the kingdom of God, and God said, all these things will be added to you. Why wouldn't God care for his son to have his wife back? That's not a small thing for God to do. That's no big deal, right? He's like, boom, no big deal. Here you go, and the border's closed. And the church is like, hey, we had an active hand with God in this because they prayed. So when we think about expanding our thoughts this year, are we unashamedly sharing the gospel? Are we praying for opportunities to share the gospel? Are we joyfully generous? And are we praying for our hearts to change? Because probably for most of us, we can be more joyfully generous with our time, talents, and treasures, but it's a heart thing, not a hand-to-wallet thing. And are we intentionally making disciples, knowing that our heart probably doesn't want to spend time with this person? probably wants to spend time with our kids or hobbies or other things else, but God's saying, no, spend time with this person and then disciple them. Are we expecting miracles? Are we praying that our eyes would be big and our minds would expand? Okay, Lord, you can do more than I think, hope, or imagine. Because we want to be a church that's fueled by the power in prayer and be a faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm, taking risks, and we'll never insult God with small thinking or safe living. And when we think about all that God has done for us and all that God commands us to go do, bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, making disciples, teaching them to obey everything he commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's no small task. But it takes us getting started by changing our thinking. 
and changing the desires of our heart, which we pray he would do. And so I invite you to be a part, to join in, and, and take the next step, whatever that is. Maybe on the wheel we put up on, on the spiritual growth discipleship wheel, maybe you're an infant and you need to say, okay, I need someone to disciple me, or I need to attend a Bible study. I need to grow. Maybe it's one step towards following Jesus, one step towards thinking, acting, and desiring and speaking like Jesus. And so maybe it's one of these five things. Maybe it's reading God's Word, getting a day, daily reading schedule, and having someone keep you accountable. Maybe it's going and saying, hey, coming up and being prayed for up front or talking to someone outside and getting someone to pour into you. And I want to warn you, be careful because God's Word is alive. It's what created the tension for me when I read it and realized, man, I'm, the church was pretty safe and, and, and controlled, but this God is not. And if I read this right, that means there's a lot that I have to give up and change Maybe the next step is to serve in a ministry. And be careful there because serving is addictive. You start cleaning toilets, taking out trash. The next thing you know, you're teaching a youth group. And the next thing you know, you're leading a missions trip to Mexico or Nicaragua. And you're like, how did I just sign up to take out the trash every once in a while? Now I'm like leading this missions trip. Like that's, just watch out. But start serving and see how it's going to fill your life with the joy. Maybe you need to join a life group. As we talk about, we learn in rows, but then we go process and we grow in groups. We grow in circles. But be careful because the moment you start a life group, maybe someone gets sick in the life group and you start bringing them meals or you notice the neighbor's house needs some repair and your life group starts caring for a neighbor and all of a sudden you're doing landscape crew duty up and down the street. And you're like, oh, I just volunteered to pull someone's weeds and now we're doing this for everybody. And you start leading local missions outreaches. Maybe you say, okay, I'll start being a joyful giver and I'll start tithing. But be careful because your heart follows where you give. You start giving and, and God promises you can't outgive him. And all of a sudden you see the fruits of you surrendering to him. And he starts blessing you and it's contagious. Maybe it's praying daily, getting a prayer journal. But be careful with that because... As we expect God to answer our prayers and, and miracles start coming left and right, as you start seeing these prayers answered, you see God move. And that's where the church is never meant to stay in this building. The church is to huddle, to learn together what we're supposed to go live out there, how we are full of God's love and reminding each other, praying for each other, bearing with each other, working together as we go reach this county and this world for Jesus. Because we're not supposed to be spiritual consumers. We're supposed to be spiritual contributors. Each one playing our position in the body, building each other up, lovingly serving one another and learning from each other. And the church does not exist to serve one another and to be served. The church is here that we would serve each other, that we would serve the world. We're not supposed to come and go, okay, consume. Give me the sermon. Now I got my deposit for a good month. I'll see you when it's convenient, Pastor. The, the church is to come together and, and turn to someone in your row and say, hey, what are we doing this week? Are you getting coffee or am I? Who's buying? Are we going to your house or my house? Are we, are we going to go serve the poor or are we going to go serve the kids? Are we going to serve the youth ministry or the elderly? Are we hosting a 55-plus group or are we, 
Are we providing food for it? Like, what are we doing? And that's where, verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all that had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They praised God for his favor. And all the people took notice. They weren't depending on the government. They weren't trusting in in the government to provide. They were giving generously. And, And the church is supposed to stand up and allow the world to take notice as we are in this culture that's so dark that there was a bill put forth that a botched abortion, the baby could receive health care and they shut it down. The government's not gonna come help you. If you're lying there dying, even a botched abortion, they're gonna watch you struggle and suffer for breath. And God knew that. That's why he's like, yeah, my kingdom will never end and it's always gonna have me reigning. I'll be with you to the end of the age. Go and share the hope that truly will give life and life to the full. And so we have to start loving people like we've been loved by God. We have to start being known by what we're for, not what we're against, and realize I'm gonna unashamedly share the gospel. I'm gonna put others' needs first. And all believers together were there and they didn't have need. They were so selfless. They met the needs of the community that spread to the whole world. As they were committed to the apostles' teachings, we're committed to spending our money globally on missions seeing the gospel translated to finish the other half of the picture or the puzzle. And as we start helping churches get planted and missionaries get sent and life groups to help our families and individuals grow in their walk with the Lord so that they can make disciples here in our communities, that we would proclaim the good news that Jesus didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and he came to seek and save the lost. So we want to maintain this space as a place where doubters and fearful people would come broken in their sin and receive salvation. They would receive healing and their fears would be put away and replaced with this faith that would be unstoppable and would be contagious as we put away our doubts and instead change our doubts into this awe-inspiring thought that what if God wants me to share with this person? What if I could serve this person? What if I could sell this and give the money to meet this need here? And this isn't just a a what if or a permission to play. This really happens when the Holy Spirit gets control of your heart. The question is, are you thinking big enough thoughts and are you giving the Holy Spirit enough control of your life? Because as Paul tells the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 3, 20 through 21, as he closes in prayer, He reminds us of the God that we serve. He reminds us of the God's plan and purpose for our life. And he says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's working in us for his glory and the church. The church is supposed to achieve his glory, point people to him and worship him. And it's all because of what Jesus did on the cross. And that's why 
at the beginning when Paul tells Timothy, think over what I said, for the Lord will give you understanding. And he says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain salvation that's in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And and we're going to close with this. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And if we deny him, he will deny us. I wonder if anyone here is denying Jesus. You're living your life, running away from Jesus as far and as fast as you can. Jesus came and died for you when you were running away from him, when you were in sin. God shows us his love for us that while we were in sin, Christ died for us. Believe now. Say, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. That's a simple prayer. You could just cry out in your heart and say, Jesus, I believe I'm in sin positionally and I need a Savior. And you came and you're calling me to trust in you and believe and be saved. And the most encouraging verse he follows up with, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. See, for the believer and maybe hopefully the new believer who just believed that Jesus paid for your sin and your debt, we don't have to be perfect. In fact, we're not gonna get it right. When we're faithless, when we fail, when we're distracted, when we fall down, when we hear of a tragedy and we start telling the mom what she should or could have done better, God's still faithful in that moment. God's perfect. God's saying, I know you messed up. I know you're broken. I know you're hurting and I'm hurting for you and you didn't have to do it that way, but I'm gonna bring you back because my love will never run out. And no matter how fast you think you are, you can't outrun it. And I'm always waiting for you just to turn right around and I'm there for you. And so as the believer, we take comfort in that. And as we take communion, God's presence is right there. Will we pray boldly and confident in that work. And for those that maybe you're wondering, can I believe, can I be saved? Yes. And as you learn more about God's love, he expects and demands holiness, but he knows that, man, when we're faithless, he's faithful. I'm gonna give you some time to pray, and then I'll come up and close this in communion.